2: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to
1: the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast series aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode, I'm talking with Nate Sellers of Average Jack Archery. Nate is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to hunting, gear, and especially archery equipment. He's got a YouTube channel with tons of hunting content and gear reviews, so I thought, who better to talk to about choosing the right hunting bow? If you're just getting into deer hunting or looking to upgrade your bow, now is the time to do it. There are tons of options out there, and there isn't a bow that exists that is the best option for everyone. A lot comes down to personal fit and what feels right. So how do you go about making the right choice in the sea of options? That's what we're talking about today. But before we jump in, the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter or angler. I couldn't be more pleased to partner with Tacticam. They are on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsmen share their hunts with friends, family, and loved ones. They also make the reveal cell camera that has changed the game when it comes to quality cellular trail cameras at a price point that's in reach for everybody. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunts, you know how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or get it in just the right spot for a decent second angle. Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. If you're not already familiar with Tacticam, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. All right, joining me today for the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Nate Sellers of Average Jack Archery. What's going on, Nate?
2: Not much, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm, uh,
1: I'm doing a series here on, on gear, and today I want to talk about bows, and I thought, who better to have on than Nate? Um, you know, so I'd love for you to start off this conversation just by telling me a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, you know, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with your YouTube channel, they really, really should be. So maybe tell us where we can find that, and give me a little bit about your archery journey. Like, how did you get to where you are today with Average Jack Archery?
2: Yeah. So my name is Nate Sellers. I live in Central Pennsylvania. Uh, I started the Average Jack Archery YouTube channel back in 2015. Uh, so you know, we're going on a little over seven years now, and. Uh, in that time, we've made over 340, I say we, me, <laughs> in the basement, I've made over 340 videos of uh, archery, archery hunting, and just the outdoors in general. Um, and it's really been geared towards the entire time getting people into the sport of archery and archery hunting. Uh, and so a lot of it's geared towards the beginner and the intermediates, but there's a lot of high-level stuff in there as well. Uh, and we cover everything from broadhead sharpening to fletching arrows and how to work on your form and, and anything else you could possibly imagine with archery, target, and, and hunting as well. Um, I started archery uh, and archery hunting here in central PA and PA in general when I first started. You couldn't bow hunt until you were 12. So I'd shot bows, kid bows, you know, like every little kid, stick and string, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, well, right around the age of 11 and 12, it really started to get serious, and I was getting into competitive shooting sports in general around that time as well, 12, 13, 14, uh, and so I started bow hunting there at the age of 12, and I uh, just have been doing it now, so, you know, we're going on, this will be my 19th year of bow hunting, which is really cool, uh, and, uh, you know, shot a lot of deer, shot deer in Pennsylvania, shot a buck in Indiana, state of Indiana last year, I was my first out-of-state hunt, uh, successful out-of-state hunt, and. Um, the whole time it's just kind of been devoted to getting myself better at archery and then through the channel, sharing that with, you know, people around the world.
1: Yeah, I, I, have really, really enjoyed, uh, your content on YouTube. It's not only, um, really great information, but it's really, um, accessible for folks like, like you do a really great job of breaking things down and, and, and communicating them in such a way that, that I think every, everyone can understand Um, and, and I say that as somebody who comes from a family where, uh, you know, for us growing up, a bow was just a tool, right? Like there was, there wasn't really a whole lot of, uh, or any real emphasis on enjoying archery as a thing in and of itself. Uh, I grew up in the deep South. We hunted in Alabama. So you had one month of archery season and then the rest of the season from like mid November till the end of January was all general firearms. So you could hunt with basically whatever you wanted to. Uh, and so that translated into, man, I don't hunt with a bow very often at all. I hunt with it one or two weekends a year. The only reason I have this thing is so that I can hunt an extra, uh, two weekends a year. So even though I have hunted with a bow for a long time, it took a while before I got to the point where I was like, I want to enjoy archery for archery's sake. Um, and then now, now I live in Wisconsin, so, you know, we, We've got a nice long you archery. You better learn scene. how to
2: shoot a bow. <laughs> that's, that's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. If you don't know how to shoot a bow in Wisconsin, you've got nine days uh, to get it done, or you have to talk your wife into letting you buy a muzzle loader. Which now it's just getting absurd. Uh, you know the number of weapons that you'd be needing to buy. So uh, yeah. So I I have really um, you know gone off the deep end when it comes to archery, enjoying archery. Bought a new bow two years ago. Um, and really have started to enjoy the sport and enjoy shooting for shooting's sake rather than simply viewing it as, um, as a tool. But, uh, you know, somebody coming with a background like me uh, or maybe someone who's new to archery or someone who's considering buying a new bow in the year ahead. Uh, but maybe they've always kind of just viewed it like a tool. You know, they, they, they don't really know a, a ton about it. Maybe they haven't put a, thought, a lot of thought into it. I'd love to start off by uh, giving some important definitions that I think may come up through the course of this conversation. Cause I have a feeling I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to be like, Hey, what about this, this, and this thing? And I'll be like, "Oh, I I don't even know what any of those are. So I want to just fire off some words at you and you can take as long or as little amount of time as you want to kind of explain them. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about, and and we'll get into whether or not this is super important. First thing I want to talk about though, is IBO speed. What is that? And uh, is it really what they say it is?
2: So IBO speed comes from the IBO organization, or the International Bowhunting Organization, and the it, it, it was also going along with the AMO, uh, which is a different standard that we don't really use. Basically, the IBO speed is taking a bow, and the idea is that the bow all manufacturers use the IBO standard, which we kind of recognize as a 70-pound peak bow shot at a 30-inch draw length with an arrow that weighs 350 grains. So the idea is that all manufacturers are kind of held to the standard of thirty seventy, as we would say, 30-70, 350. That's the number. 30 inches of draw, 70-pound peak weight, 350-grain arrow. And so that way, if I take that exact arrow and I shoot it out of one bow, At those specs, it'll shoot a certain feet per second or FPS, and if I put another bow to shoot a certain, and I wanna get an average, and then they can advertise, okay, our bow shoots 310 feet per second with that arrow at that setup, 340 feet per second. Um, Some bows that are really, truly, I mean, horrible to shoot, but meant for speed are (laughs) up to 360, 370 feet a second, which is just insane. Um, The IBO with that is cool. And it is a a decent metric for us to understand how a bow, and as someone who sells bows for a living and works on bows for a living, it's a great metric for us to have to understand for telling to a customer, this is going to be a smooth draw. This one might be a little rougher, um, you know, in kind of that user experience, but it's not really applicable to most people. Um, And the reason being is that a 30-inch draw length for getting an IBO number, that's a great number, but a 30 inch draw length, you really gotta be around 6'2 or 6'3 uh, in terms of your height, mm. um, 6'2, 6'3. Some guys, have you got long enough arms and that's one, maybe six foot, but there's a lot of dudes that do not shoot a 30 inch draw length. Most mm, people yeah. are between 27 and 29 inches of draw length. So to give a, a speed number that's not really applicable to most people kind of rots. Also, not a whole lot of people in today's world, compared to in days past, shoot 70 pounds. I myself only shoot 60 pounds. And a lot of people shoot between 50 and 65. I mean, even if a guy buys a 70-pound bow, he'll still back it out a little bit to shoot a little less poundage. Because 70 pounds can be rough on the shoulder yep. if you're not careful. Yep. So that IBO speed is is a good metric for us to kind of understand as... Those who sell the bows for a living, but they're just not super applicable. When you start putting all the bows to say 28 inches of draw and let's say 60 pounds, the gaps of speed start to shrink uh, because the efficiency of the bow. And that's that's going down some deep trails we didn't talk about, but it, it, it levels off. And then the third thing is the 350 grain arrow. A 350 grain arrow is a very very light arrow. Mm. Um, if you were t- you have to try to build a 350 grain arrow. You're, it's not gonna happen by accident. Most arrows that guys are shooting for whitetail hunting are at the, the lightest I see is about 390 grains, but most of them are about 410 to 425. So even then, your speed is gonna be slower because you're trying to shoot a heavier object. So you got a guy who's got a 28 inch draw, he's shooting 60 pounds and a 420 grain arrow, he's never gonna come close to an IBO <laughs> speed, never once. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it, man. You're never going to see 320 feet a second. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's right. I, man, I, I've got to, I've got to tell you this story. So, one of the first, uh, bows that I, that I bought, it's actually my third, uh, I guess it was my third bow. Uh, I took it in and I'm, I'm shooting it at, at this, uh, archery shop and I'm getting my wife a bow too. So, I'm getting mine tuned, buying my wife a new, uh, PSE. I think it was called the Chaos. And, uh, so her, she was going to have just this, a sweet little shooter, right? And I'm pulling back like, I think I think it was maxed out at seventy pounds, and I'm shooting this bow. Um, and he's like, "Hey, you want to you want to shoot it through the chronograph, see what your see what your speed is?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." And her bow at like forty pounds was flinging arrows like forty feet per second faster than this bow that I was shooting at seventy pounds. This was an old Parker Wildfire, which great yes. bows, but but man, slow as the day is long. Uh, if you put anything, any kind of arrow on there. So anyway, yeah, I was extremely extremely disappointed to be uh to be shooting that. I just had a I, yeah, had a hard time with uh hard time with that one. A- expecting to come in somewhere close to that IBO and I was nowhere near it.
2: Nowhere no, near it. that old Parker, that old single cam Parker wildfire man. They were not they were not fired The the only thing fire about him was the hand shock. That was about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> man, I I tell you what <laughs> two of the happiest days of my life. One, the day that I got that Parker wildfire. And the second one was the day that I sold it. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, it, it was a good bow. They were tough. They were tough bows. I put it through. A oh, lot. you couldn't break. them. Yeah. I put it through you couldn't a break lot. Them. Um, but anyway, I'm glad I finally got rid of it. All right. Next definition I'd like for you to give, uh, and, and, and give some caveats here too, because I don't think this is consistent across the board, uh, ATA or axle to axle.
2: So axle-to-axle axle length is how long a bow is if you measure from the axle to the center of the axle to the center of the axle. And traditionally, it is thought that the shorter you are, in your own physical height, the shorter axle to axle, length you can get away with 28, 29 or 30 inches. And then as you get taller and taller, like me, I'm six foot four, you need longer and longer axle to axle, 32, 33, 34. I like myself 35 to 37 inch axle to axle bows. This is kind of a misnomer in today's world more than anything. Um, predominantly because the longer the bows, because of just engineering and physics, the longer the bow is, the more they draw length they can actually physically get out of a cam, because there's more strings to work with. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 31 inches of draw length, there are guys that are 32, 33 inches. Very few bows that are shorter than 32 inches axle to axle can even physically get out to our draw lengths with their string and cable length. So, wow. You know, we, we are kind of actually, you know, following that adage of longer bow, longer draw. But in today's world, it's not nearly as important as it used to be. Bows are so much more stable now. The risers are built much longer. And I strongly recommend I, <clears throat> go look up that Parker Wildfire. For those of you, as I'm serious, go look at a Parker Wildfire and look at the shape of its limbs and riser compared today to, say, like the Matthews V3X. Yep. And look at the length of the riser. Look at the geometry of the cam. It's almost, when you look at the strings and the limbs and everything, it almost looks like a rectangle. Yep. Whereas those old bows are very D-shaped. Mm-hmm. And just based on the geometry and the cam size and everything, that's everything. thing. Look at the size of the cams and the eye of the wheel, Matt Parker, compared to today's modern bows. It The, the axle-to-axle is not nearly as imperative as it used to be. Unless you're somebody like me and you really are stuck with you you need a bow that actually physically go to your draw length, and you need that to be a longer axle to axle. Traditionally, with today's modern equipment,
1: yeah. So you you mentioned riser there. So break down for me just real quick what a, what what riser length is like. Where, where does that measurement measurement come in?
2: So you can measure it from really any point on the riser from one end to the other. Um, I usually go right off of the uh, back end of the limb pocket, uh, which is where the limbs bolt to the end of the riser, usually bolted in the front with the actual bolt. And then there's another bolt that runs through the, the uh, pocket of the of the limb capturing system in the back. And if you measure that distance, particularly in today's modern bows, they're almost just as long as the axle to axle length. Yep. Yep. Whereas sure. if you look at, you know, bows from 2008, 2009 or older, sometimes that length is only two-thirds the axle-to-axle length. And so that longer riser, it's just like if you, if you imagine yourself holding a long broom handle and then holding a short dowel rod. Well, that long broom handle, sure, there's more mass to it, there's more weight. But even still, it's, just a, it's easier to balance, it's easier to have stable because you're holding most of the weight distributed in the front end of the bow in the length of the riser. Whereas in the olden days, a lot of the weight was in the limbs because they were very inefficient. They were heavy. They were thick, big, thick fiberglass, carbon composite limbs, and they just weren't as easy to balance. and weren't as easy to be stable. Mm-hmm. And so the, I don't think any particular manufacturer has the leg up on the length of riser in today's modern era. Um, I think they all do a very excellent job of having a good proportion uh, and allowing a really stable shooting platform, even if the bow is a shorter axle-to-axle length.
1: Yeah, so why would a guy want to have a shorter axle-to-axle length on, on their bow? Like what, what would be the draw toward that?
2: So I think for the hunting side in particular, you know, a lot of guys don't want to be lugging a lot of actual mass weight because the longer the bow is, the more it weighs. So for example, I shoot an Athens Vista 35, uh, which weighs about four and a half pounds. They also make a 31 inch model um, and it weighs 4.1 pounds. So, you know, that extra half a pound doesn't sound like a whole lot of weight until you're carrying it and you're strapping it and you're lifting it and you're holding it out to shoot and this, that, and the other thing. And then it becomes a significant amount of weight over mm-hmm. time. Um, so for the hunting situation, A, the physical mass weight gets less. Um, and then secondly, it's a little bit more maneuverable. You know, you take a like I to go back to my broom handle. You take a broom handle that's three feet long and you take a broom handle that's two and a half feet long. And of course you can fit that two and a half foot long easier these are more maneuverable, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you think of in particularly the guys, not so much up here in the Northeast and where you are in the North, we don't do a lot of ground blind hunting, but a lot of guys in the South and some parts of the Midwest where the trees are really wonky, you do a lot of ground blind hunting or you do a lot of spotting stock on the ground yep. and lugging a big long bow and cramming in tight spaces is just, is not ideal. Yep. So having a short axle to axle bow for hunting is, is much more ideal in those situations.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, next, the next one, brace height. And, and I'd love for you to go into, I, I, I picked a new bow two years ago. I guess it was at this point, picked up a used one. I got a Matthews TX five and the warnings all over the place about this bow. The brace height is too short. It's got too short of a brace height. You're going to, it's going to be awful for you. What they didn't know is that I have a 26 and a half inch draw. So, you know, five inch brace height for me, not a big deal go into brace height and and why that matters
2: so brace height uh from a mathematical standpoint is if you take the string when it's just sitting at rest and you measure from the string to the deepest part of the grip uh in the riser and that distance for most modern bows is between six and seven inches somewhere in that flavor Um, but some can be as low as five and some can be as high as seven and a half or eight Um, It is traditionally thought, and I would uh, still agree that it it holds truth, uh, even uh, in today's modern technology, that the shorter you get on that brace height, closer to five inches, the more quote-unquote radical a bow is. Because if you think about it, when the bow stops, the bow string stops, the arrow leaves the bow. It's no longer in contact. It's just contacting air. You can't can't affect it anymore. So if that arrow stops at the seven-inch mark, Yeah, it means it's leaving your control sooner than if you shoot it at the five inch mark. And if it stops shooting at the five inch mark, you have an extra two inches of you screwing around with it. Right? (laughs) The other, it's true, I mean, that's just, you know, there's two two more more inches to mess up. And it happens in the blink of an eye, but that little blink of an eye can be a little bit of muscle pressure, something and something, and you don't impact where you want downrange. But the benefit is, is that it increases, the amount of time it's on the bowstring which means it's getting more energy it's getting more power so traditionally the faster a bow is you'll see it closer to five and six inches in brace height and the slower bows are closer to six and a half seven seven and a half inches so you might get a slower bow but it might be quote unquote more forgiving maybe we'll talk about that later down the road and the closer you get to five inches the more speed you'll get, but the less forgiving it may be if you have a little bit of muscle pressure. I will also add too that for, um, even if you have a short or long draw leg, the closer, the shorter the brace height is, the more chance you have, particularly in cold weather, where we are Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, yep. of having the string contact your clothing, because it's closer to your hands, closer to your wrist, it's closer to where your, your arm is coming into the strings path and you have a chance of whack in your arm. Um, that's, that's kind of a less of a problem with the string stops now with modern bows than it is on say like a recurve or a long bow where there is no string stop. Yep. And it's, you know, it's, it can't go any further than that, but that is something to keep in mind if you want a five inch bow for hunting in a cold weather environment.
1: Yep. Yep. Let's, let's talk then about a, another thing that I, I think a lot of guys are, you know, they're going to have it on that little card when you walk into a bow shop, right? You're looking at these bows. They're going to have on that card, the let off. So what is the let off? And, and does that impact Are shooting at all
2: so let off again mathematically speaking you take the peak weight of the bow and when you get to the end you know all compound bows have a let off so that means you're not holding all the weight of peak weight whereas with a recurve or a longbow the more you keep pulling the more you keep putting the limbs under pressure and the more weight you're holding so when you pull a 45 pound recurve back you are holding 45 pounds which is a lot of weight compounds if you had to hold 60 pounds of that good freaking luck man it's just not going to happen or 70 pounds so you get a let off so you'll only be holding a certain percentage and most of the time most modern day are between 75 and 90 percent let off and we'll go with 80 it's kind of a nice round number so let's say you had a hundred pound boat, you had 80 percent let off that means you would be losing or letting off 80 percent of 100 pounds and you'd be holding 20 pounds at full draw. Most guys shooting 60 to 65 pounds or shooting 80 to 90% let off and they're going to be holding around 10 to 12 pounds. Okay. Which is much more doable. Yep. Yep. Hunting situations. It is strongly thought that the higher the the po- they let off 85, 90%, the longer you can hold the bow. If you're only holding five or six pounds a 90% let off bow, 60, 70 pound bow, 90% let off five or six pounds. You can wait for that buck to come out from behind the tree. Or the turkey to clear the bush or turn around from coming and strut. Whereas if you're only holding 75 percent, you know, you might be you might be up the creek without a paddle if you don't have good back tension and really pull it in, the bow might try to come off on you yep. even though you're holding it back. Yep. So a lot of hunting bows are in that 80, 80 to five, sometimes as high as 90. I have been shooting a long time and I find myself much more consistent closer to 80, maybe even just a little bit less than 80, 78 percent for example. Um, I just find that it'd be a very consistent shooting spot for me, but I'm shooting thousands and thousands of arrows. And like I said, I've been bow hunting for almost 20 years now. Mm, yeah.
1: So last two definitions. First one is back wall. And the next one is Valley.
2: So we'll, I guess you can combine them even. So the back wall in particular is when you actually get to full draw and you come back and the stops are contacting the cables or cable if it's a single combo, it's how much more can you pull into that, right? you you finished the draw cycle, the let-off is in, but is it spongy? Does it feel like you can still kind of squeak out a quarter inch, a half inch? That's the back wall. The valley is also part of that. Sometimes that, that area is a long area, it's a long valley where you're not holding much weight and sometimes it's very short where it feels like you just kind of dropped and all of a sudden you go from holding 60 pounds to five pounds, right? I like to have a bow, preferably if I'm gonna hunt, I wanna have a long valley and a firm back wall. I wanna pull, I wanna have a nice gentle slope back into that, I don't wanna have it drop off on me all of a sudden and have it spring back forward. I wanna have a nice long valley and I personally like a limb stop or a really solid cable stop bow Mm -hmm. where when I pull back in there I know I've I've locked in, I don't have any more squish and there's certain bows that are really easy to achieve that with and there's some that are a struggle. I'm sure we'll probably touch on some of those as we go through bow selection.
1: Yep, yep. So uh, just to say, if anybody's considering a Parker Wildfire, you get back to full draw, you've got another three inches of squish that you can work into that <laughs> At thing. At least, if you <laughs> if you need it, you, if you've got a little bit longer you draw.
2: You think you're shooting a compound, you're really shooting a recurve with wheels. That's, that's what it.
1: That's what it <laughs> feels like. You get back to the back, you're like, oh, I could keep. Man, I could keep going <laughs> for a while if I wanted to. Oh yeah, man, it's bad. Yeah. Flashbacks. Anyway, anything I missed that I should cover? I guess anything else we can just kind of cover as we go along?
2: I think it's something covers to go along, and that's kind of the big ones. You know, it it can be super intimidating. You're looking at hang tags on bows. You're trying to make heads or tails of all these numbers, all these, you know, the alphabet soup, as I like to call it, the alphabet suit of ATA, IBO, uh, uh, you know, brace height and all that sort of stuff, peak weights. You know, it's something as simple as peak weights. I get asked a lot of people. Oh, we'll look at a bow and be like, okay, it has a peak weight, of, this bow has a peak weight of 70 and this bow is a peak weight of 70, but this one has a range of five to 70 and this one has a range of 60 to 70. Does that mean the five to 70 is better than the 60, 70? Simple stuff like that, that no, it just means it has more range with the limb. But, and I'm sure we'll cover that more as we go through and we talk about bow selection.
1: Yeah, man, that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff. I want to, I want to kick off our bow selection conversation here though. Um, If a lot of guys are like me, um, walking into a bow shop, looking at those tags that are hanging, there are two things that they care about on that tag. And there are two criteria by which they're going to probably come close to making their purchase. One is what brand is on it, what brand name. And the second is that IBO speed. Um, How important should those two things be to me when I walk into an archery shop?
2: You... (sighs) This, this is the, when I'm, when I'm setting up a boat for person or I'm selling a boat to a person, first of foremost I don't care what you shoot. You shoot whatever you want to shoot. I will happily set up whatever you want to shoot. Hmm. There's no one thing you cannot sell and that is confidence, oh, but yeah. they can buy it. Yep. Right. They can buy confidence. Yep. You can't sell it though. So, the number one thing, I hear this, oh gosh, once a week during, it's not twice a week during peak season when we're selling bows. Well, my so and so had a fill in the blank. Hmm. My uncle shot a Hoyt. My grandpappy shot a Matthews. My brother picked up a Parker Wildfire off of eBay. My whatever, th- they have that. And they have killed deer with that. And I want to kill deer with that too. So that's probably, and now granted there are certain uh, brands, Matthew's probably being the most guilty, uh, guilty not being a bad guilty, their marketing is insane. Their marketing is absolutely insane. And they, you know, certain brands outsell others strictly based on marketing. And that's very understandable. That's totally fine. I have no problem with that as someone who works in the marketing world but you cannot sell confidence, but you can certainly buy it. And so even if they don't know anything about the brand, even if they don't know anything about the shot sequence or how it feels or et cetera, they know that the other people have had confidence in it and that's kind of their leg up. It's like when you go to buy your first car and you're like, listen, I, you know, my, you know, your dad might be like, okay, uh, I've owned a Honda for 27 years. We're going to go buy you a Honda, mm. right? Well, who cares if the Honda fits you or not? He's had confidence in Honda. You're going to go buy a Honda, right? Um, And so that type of deal, that's a huge selling point in the bow shop. Guys will come in. I've always, or I've always shot Hoyt, or I've always shot Matthews, or I've always shot Bowtech. I want to keep that. I have confidence in it. And even if their new bow sucks compared to somebody else's, or (laughs) maybe you could shoot another bow better that doesn't matter to them because you can't sell confidence but they can buy it. Yep. And that's just that it is what it is. Yeah.
1: So what about that speed then? How how important is that? You know, if I if I come in and I'm looking at let's say four or five different bows, are you going to should I be ranking them mentally in order of speed or should I throw that out the window or somewhere in between?
2: Uh, you should definitely throw it out the window. Okay. Definitely completely right. 100% throw it out the window. Got as it. anybody listening throw it out the window. And I would say as somebody who sells bows for a living, very few people are concerned about the speed on the tag. Um, like the guys, it's it's now in today's modern day and age where very few people know nothing. Like absolutely zero coming yeah, in. Yeah, Most people have done a little bit of research. Yep. Google's a, a powerful bit. thing. Now, granted, there, there are some that have no clue. That happens still. But at least someone's been, they went on to Google and they went compound bow four, and usually they pick a budget. And that's the number one thing, you know, for 400 bucks, for 500 bucks. And they've seen something like a bear species or a diamond infinite edge. And they know, okay, that's kind of a ballpark. And so then they'll go into a shop looking for those things. Then they'll see it. And then they can handle it and try it for the first time. Uh, I, I say that the this, this speed thing is, is a number that is not touched like it used to be. Um, I think people have other qualifications that they get stuck on now more than anything.
1: Hey, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam. As many of you know, I've really gotten into filming my hunts over the last couple of years, and this is especially true of my turkey hunts. This spring, I'm going to be running the Tacticam 5.0 and 5.0 wide cameras. I plan to have the 5.0 mounted on my bow stabilizer, with the 5.0 wide looking back at my blind to get great footage from multiple angles. The 5.0 and 5.0 y both deliver 4K 30 frame per second resolution, all in a weatherproof package. And to make it even better, they offer tons of mounts and accessories made specifically with hunters and anglers in mind. If you're looking to capture your hunting memories to share with your friends and loved ones, check out the 5.0 and 5.0 y today at www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Here's where I want us to go now. I want to walk into um, into your shop. And uh, you're opening up a shop soon, right? And is that July 1st, July 1st, man. PA. Wow. So if you're in the area, head on in there.
2: So let's, if you're in the, if you're in the central PA, I mean, we work on boats from New York, Maryland, West Virginia, Ohio, New Jersey. I've done it all. Virginia all right. done it all.
1: So it's July 1st then. And I have made a special trip from Southern Wisconsin to central PA. And I walk in the door and I say, Nate, I need you to help me find a new bow. We got to get one today. It was a really long drive to get here. I don't know how many hours it would take, but it'd take a while. And I've got to go, I've got to go home with a new bow. I'm not coming back. I don't want you to ship me anything. We got to get it today. What are some of the first questions that you're going to be asking me? What are some of the specs of of me personally that you're going to start taking into account? How are you going to walk me through the process?
2: The first question I'm going to ask you is, what's your budget? The very first question I'm going to ask you, uh, what's your budget and are you buying everything or are you just buying a bow? All right, so um, let me... because that, that, that changes that. Right. Yeah. And also if you're buying just the bow, does your new bow roughly match your old bow? So okay. let's start, let's pretend you're a new customer. You're brand spanking. new. we'll do that scenario first. Your brand spanking new to the sport, you own squat. I'm going to ask you, what's your budget? And I want to know your whole budget. Like I have 500 bucks, I have 600 bucks, I have 2000 to spend today because that I then in the back of my head can go, I know how much a bow can cost and I know the average, and, but the bow can fluctuate. Sometimes the bow is $300, sometimes the bow a thousand, $1,300. $1, but I know that the average, um, accessories from scratch, for an average bow hunter in the Northeast or up in Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, that type of stuff. I know that the average is going to be around an extra 300 bucks. You're talking a dozen arrows, pack of broadheads, release, uh, a field points, that kind of stuff. Maybe if you need a target to be around 300 bucks to be on the generous side. So if you say I have a $600 limit, I know that I'm looking at a 300 to $400 bow and we can kind of pick, pick and choose accessories to get you, Under that six hundred dollar under that six hundred dollar limit. If you tell me that you're looking, you you got two grand, I got basically the sky's the limit. You can you can pick any flagship, blow a bone the wall, or budget bone doesn't matter, Um, and we can mix and match some really high end accessories to go along with it. Um, That's the number one thing. I I do you know I love it when people come in and they're like, well maybe I want to do this or do this, and I'm like, listen, six hundred bucks, I know what I can get you. And I can get you set up and I can get you set up and just absolutely humding and when you walk out of the shop. Um, so that's the the number one thing I'm going to ask you is, is what's your budget? Secondly, if you've got a well enough trained eyeball and you've set up enough people, I can look at a person and ballpark their draw length.
1: Mm, okay.
2: Right. So yep. if, again, going back to that new user, we are talking about new users first. I can kind of ballpark it. So, if you're like in that 510 to 6 foot, I'm going to assume you're around that 29, 28 and a half to 29 inch draw length. There's, that's a lot of good people will start in that flavor. In particular, if you've never shot a bow before, that's where I'm going to kind of ballpark you. If I want, I can try, I'll take a tape measure and I'll measure your stretched out wingspan and divide it by 2.5. And usually that also gives us a good rough number as well. You can do that at home too. Have your uh, significant other or, or kid in your house, if they got long enough arms, <laughs> uh, take it and measure, stretch your arms out like an eagle, finger to the fingertip, divide that number in inches by 2.5 to get close. i got a, about a 77-inch wingspan. Take that number, and it gets me close to a 31-inch drawing. Right, It's a good ballpark. That's where I'm going to start, you. Um, and I'm going to pick a bow, budget bow. Let's say you're new. Most often you're going to have a budget. Pick a budget bow that can fit your draw length if you are sub six foot two most bows out there are going to fit you you know if you're six foot you know anywhere between that five that five eight to six two as a grown guy most bows out there are going to fit you both flagship and budget so i can kind of ballpark all that and and we can work together then on picking and choosing the accessories that you want types of releases you want type of broadheads you want stuff like that because i want you again i can't I cannot sell you confidence, but you can buy it. So if you look at something, and you're like, I think that's what's gonna make me successful, that's what I'm, that's what you're buying. And that's what I'm going to give you. Cause I can't force you to feel confident in something. I need you as the user to feel confident in it. I can help guide you in a way of purchasing the right product for your budget and what's going to fit you, which you know we can get into that as we go into like customers who have already shot. But that's that's kind of the first step is that budget and kind of guesstimate your draw length. And where are you going to start from there?
1: Yeah. So where do you, you mentioned two different, uh, almost two different worlds of bows there. You've got your flagship models and you've got your budget bows. And I think that there could be some stigma uh, out there, you know, when it comes to uh, not shooting a flagship bow or, or thinking that you've settled and you're like, boy, this is a really important purchase. Really, you know, what is the difference these days between a flagship model from a big brand that everyone recognizes and the budget bow that cost me 300 bucks.
2: So that's a great question. And if you are, if if anybody listening to this knows who I am and listens to the, how to hunt deer podcast, they freaking know who THP is and the hunting public. So that's right. That's you, right. Like if you know who we are, you know who they are, which yep. means you have probably seen Ted take a $400 bear, uh paradox pair species whatever it is they have different names but they're based on the same boat about 31 32 inch axle axle single cam bows and he has killed bucks in no less than six states mm. with that bow yep right and i'm talking a standard arrow with like a three blade 100 grain muzzy broadhead i mean he went straight 1998 yep okay with yep. this arrow setup and a $400 budget bow package, whisker biscuit site, and like a four, or whisker biscuit rest and four pin site. And he's killed bigger deer in more states than I have, I could even fathom. <laughs> so in terms of, in terms of like the budget bow, not being the quality, not, I mean, he's put that bow through the ringer. I mean, yep. he beats the ever living tar out of that thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you watch THP, you, you've seen it. So in terms of the quality or the craftsmanship or the worksmanship or anything else with the budget stuff, it's all there. And all of the budget bows are also made by the same company that's making flagship bows. They understand quality control. They understand quality materials. They are cutting corners, but the corners are cut effectively. They're not cut at the sake of we're outsourcing this, to some place that we have no control over, et cetera, et cetera, So for example, Bear, who makes the Paradox of Species and everything, and it's a very common budget bow brand, they make all of their bows in Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, the flagships and the budget, but it's all done there. The quality control is done there, the camo dipping is done there, the strings are built there, everything's there. So it's all done by the same people, they're just using different materials to get a bow made. So. In terms of, it's not what it used to be. It used to be that craft strings were terrible. Well, craft strings today are still pretty solid, right? Um, we used to have um, cast risers on bows. We still have cast risers on bows. All those bare bows are cast risers, which saves enormously on costs, on CNC costs. But back in the old days with cast risers, they used to have such problems with the casting that the riser would snap in half from an air bubble.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> we don't, That's not terrifying we don't at have all. that problem. Yeah. We don't have that problem in 2022 because we have better technology. Mm. So sure. It's cheaper materials. Maybe it's not as vibration free. Maybe the strings aren't as cool and they only come in one color, but that's where the corners get cut, but the quality is still there and they still kill deer or any other big game species you put in front of them. And some people, um, even take budget bows and they go and shoot them at competitions and win money. So Wow. The the the, stig, the stigma about it, there are some bells and whistles that change, but if you're new to the sport or if you're just out there to have a good time and kill deer in particular somewhere in any of the deer killing states and just have a good, honest, reliable bow, do not overlook your budget stuff. It's an absolute crying shame if you do.
1: Yeah, that's a really good case. That's a really, really good case for that. All right, so I've walked into your shop. It's July 1st. You're busy. I tell you, forget everybody else. you got to focus on me. Uh all right, my bow, or I come in and I, I've got my budget. Uh, I don't want to give you a specific budget just because um, I don't want to alienate anybody out there, right? So just we'll we'll talk maybe sure. on both ends kind of of it. And I walk in and I tell you, hey man, I've got a average draw length or whatever. So you don't you don't have to necessarily yeah. fit me specific because again, most guys aren't out there walking around with a twenty six and a half inch draw length like I am. Like that's yeah, you know, I am I, I am or, ex- a
2: 31. or I a thirty one or
1: thirty. We're both exceptional. <laughs> Look at that. We are both <laughs> we are both exceptional. So so what what's as I, the, as
2: I tell my students, the word extraordinary is just ordinary with a little extra.
1: <laughs> well, there you go, we are we are both extraordinary. Let's We're uh, just a
2: little extra. That's that, all that's we right. are. That's That's right. Just a little We're just a, little, a extra. little
1: extra, man. Maybe yeah. All right. So I tell you my budget, we talk about my draw length, we start looking at bows on the wall what are some of the important pieces that uh, are really going to impact my, uh, my, that will impact my confidence. And by impact my confidence, I mean my accuracy, right? And that are going to impact my uh, enjoyment of shooting. I, I learned when I went from shooting a Parker Wildfire to a Matthews TX-5, I learned that there's, there's, there's shooting because I have to shoot because I need to practice. And then there's shooting because I like to shoot and it's fun to do right Two totally different things. So w- what are you going to walk me through as far as helping me find a bow? That's going to be accurate for me. Uh, but also uh, one that I can enjoy shooting.
2: So, yeah. So in, in terms of the accuracy, let's say you have an average draw, length, you know, 28, 29, a lot of guys do, I'm going to pick you a good crossover bow. So somewhere between 30 and 32 inches axle to axle, that's just a good, I don't want to say vanilla because it sounds bland, but it is a good vanilla setup. What do you, you mean by crossover? Com- so when I say crossover, I mean, I feel that you would have the confidence to take that hunting, but also if you wanted to go shoot a 3D course in your area, if you wanted to try to shoot indoor spots in the winter time, you wouldn't be completely in left field. Gotcha. Again, the, the short of that bow, you know, you start shooting, you know, Matthews makes 27, 28, 29 inch bows. PSE makes bows that are that short. Um, and, you know, again, you're an average draw 20, 20, 20, 29, but still that's a short bow, and it cannot be as balanced. And, and then if, you know, and then if we do want to make it as balanced as a longer bow, then we're talking maybe extra stabilizers. We're talking extra money. We don't need to do that. Like let's start off on the right foot in the first place. So 30, 32 inch axle axle bow. Uh, and the most likely, uh, if you're brand new to the sport, we're going to, if you're a grown guy, we're picking somewhere between uh, 45 to 60 pounds. Right. That'd be a good starting point. Archie works out some different muscles. If you're used to shooting, you know, I want you to be shooting between 50 and 70 pounds. And that's number one thing is that people will overbow themselves it's like, oh, I want to work up to this poundage. And I've talked about this before it, to a lot of different people. The number of guys that come in to a shop that get new string cables or something, and they're like, OK, I want you to set it at 63 pounds why, why do you care? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is the difference to you between 62 pounds and 64? Why does that have to be said? Well, I'm feeling very confident in 63. Again, I can't sell confidence, but he can buy it. Right. So, mm. um, that's kind of the thing. And so there is, there is still machoism, you know, Oh, 70 pounds, 60 pounds. No, no, you're not going to enjoy that. Yeah, You're not going right. to enjoy shooting that. You that's are right. not, I don't care how strong you are, it's not going to be an enjoyable shooting experience. And that is the number one thing, have an enjoyable shooting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, setting you up on the appropriate draw weight that you can handle at your appropriate draw length. Um, if you're in the budget bow minded, a lot of good high quality budget bows now are single cam bows, which I think is great. Single cam bows are traditionally very smooth on the draw. They're not as fast, but who cares? We're looking for an enjoyable shooting experience. Um, so traditionally a single cam bow or a binary cam, it's very soft. Uh, and that with combined with a lower poundage is just going to be so much more fun to shoot. You're going to enjoy the shooting experience. You're going to be able to shoot a lot of arrows and just build confidence and build strength while you're doing it. Um, if you've been shooting a while, yeah, I want you to be comfortable with a draw cycle that you're used to. If you're used to a single cam draw, if you're used to that Matthews TX5 draw, if you're used to a Hoyt, if you're used to a PSE, I want to try to match that because, again, I want you to have the same confidence you have had continuing on. I don't want to give you a bow, you're like, ah, I want a speed bow, I want to try it. I don't want to sell you that because if you haven't shot a speed bow before, you're not going to enjoy it and you're going to be mad at me, call me from (laughs) Wisconsin bought this bow and it sucks. I'm like, yeah, cuz you went from shooting a bow that was nice and smooth to a bow that is meant to be aggressive and those guys that enjoy shooting aggressive bows would buy, but you do, you're not my clientele for that, but you bought it. So, um now you're stuck with it. <laughs> but I don't want anybody to ever be stuck with a bow. Sure. I want them to be like, I love just like you said, you went from shooting because you needed to practice to kill a deer. To shooting because oh my gosh I love this sport yep and and that's the thing I want you to if you've never shot before I want you to have the best shooting experience possible I don't care how slow or fast it is and if you have shot before I want you to have an experience that is current with what you already are enjoying and you're just looking to upgrade or change a little bit
1: yep yep all right so we we've gotten me uh, we've narrowed the field down it sounds like you know we've got maybe three or so. Um, that are going to be enjoyable, uh, going to fit my needs, going to keep them somewhere around that 60 ish pound range. Okay. Uh, it's going to, it's going to be a a good bow for me to shoot. I'm going to like shooting it out in the backyard, which a side note, if you like shooting your bow, you're going to shoot it more often. You're going to get better at shooting. You're going to be more successful in the field, most likely. So, you know, there, there's a lot more that goes into enjoying shooting your bow than just, Oh, I like archery. You'll, you'll just be a better deer killer at the end of the day.
2: But, exactly right.
1: So we're down to three or five or so, whatever it is. What are we going to do next? And here Here's my dilemma. Boy, I'd love to shoot all of them. What do I do? Should I I'm going to make you shoot all of them. You're going to make me shoot all of them. I'm going to make you shoot all of them. All right, so I, I got to tell you, I felt so uncomfortable before walking into a pro shop, and you've been to lots of them, so you know that, you know, the ones that I'm talking about, the ones that are super intimidating to walk into and you're like, Hey, I'm, man, I'm looking at these three different bows, but boy, I don't, I don't know which one I want. And you start asking about it. And it's like, it's a, it's a you're tr- like, you're a significant bother if you're going to make them, you know, tweak some things on those bows real quick so that they can get you shooting on their indoor range or whatever. So you're going to make me shoot every single one of these bows.
2: I'm going to send it up to your draw length. I'm going to make you shoot it. And this is, This is the give and take, right? So this is what I would do. And this isn't just because I'm on the podcast. This is because this is what I would do. And yeah, am I, could I sell more bows faster? Sure. But then I'm going to get more of those guys calling me back regardless of whether you came from Wisconsin or you came from 15 minutes up the road. Like I need you to leave my shop feeling very happy with your purchase, very confident with your purchase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I need you to do. Um, and so I'm going to set them up to your draw length, or what we assume to be as close as possible. Or if you know, hey, I'm a 29 draw, I'll set up a 29 straw, draw. That's fine, um, and let you shoot it at that thing. That nothing drives me. I, I get guys that message me and say, hey, I went to my local shop and I shot like three or four different bows. They were all at different draw lengths, and they only let me shoot three arrows out of them. Mm. Out of yep. meat. Yep. Oh. Yep. That just it tugs at my heartstrings, man. Because I don't care how many bows. Do you. Those, bow, those bows and those strings are meant to take thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows. I don't care if you put 50 arrows out of that bow. It does not matter to me. I want you to feel like you gave that bow a fair shake. Um, now, there are a lot of guys that don't want to do it. I'll offer, hey, do you want to try two or three? And they're like, nah, I want to try maybe this one and this one. Sure, that's fine too. But if you really don't know what you want and you really haven't uh, tried anything, then I want you to try to shoot everything and get a fair shake for it. At least a dozen out of each bow.
1: Okay. And what are you, so as I'm out there shooting, what are you looking for? Cause I imagine you're going to be peeking over my shoulder, right? You're going to be checking out what I'm doing here. Uh, so what are you going to be looking for when I'm, when I'm shooting there? And what are you going to be telling me to look for as I'm trying to feel out whether this is the best bow for me or not?
2: What I recommend people do is, is shoot all three, you know, do like a dozen or half a dozen or three, whatever it is, and see if one jumps out at you. Okay. Right. Cause it no. might, it might jump at you. Now sometimes that's the most expensive one. Cause your brain tells you that's the most expensive <laughs> one. It's gotta be the best, but shoot, shoot through them, three arrows each and be like one of three things is going to happen. You're going to be like, you had already made up your mind anyway. So it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. I'm saying yep. Two, all well, this happens way more than people think. I can't tell the difference. The $400 bow and the $1,200 bow feel exactly the same. Wow. Or three, okay, I feel like I've eliminated one of these options. Those are the three things that are going to happen. Um, and the second and third happen way more often than people would care to admit. And particularly the second one, there's a lot of times, like I said, there's a lot of really good bows on the market today that are in a five to $800 price point or sometimes even cheaper with without accessories on them. And guys are shooting like, you know, that feels really good. It does not feel like crap. And I know I'm going to shoot a good amount, but not that much. Why would I spend three times the amount for a bow that I'm not going to shoot three times more? Yeah, that's and good. I'm like, that's a very fair assessment. That's yep. a very fair assessment. So um, when I'm looking at, so I want you to try to do that and see if you can feel one that's like, this one feels like it has a little too much vibe for me. I'm not getting it right. I don't like the draw cycle of it because every bow is different for every draw length. And that's why I want people to shoot bows at their drawing. Do not shoot a bow, try it, quote unquote, test drive a bow, not at your drawing. That's stupid. It's beyond stupid. I would never test a bow at your 26 and a half inch drawing. And you would never test a bow at 31. Yep. Never in a years. It's like test it's just driving, not a good indicator.
1: It's like test driving a car and being like, yeah, you can test drive that one over there, but this is the one we want you to buy. Totally different model. I mean, it's just, to that, totally. That it will not feel the same. It won't even be close to the same experience.
2: Not even close. Not even remotely close. Like, it's like driving with the seat all the way forward or the seat all the way back. Yeah. Right. Like, yep. Not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And so put it where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And you get the true experience for how it's supposed to feel. Um, so while they're doing that and they're going through that mental process, maybe we're talking it out. I'm looking and seeing. How does the draw length look? So maybe, you know, certain bows look and feel different based on the draw length. Maybe this bow could be short, maybe this bow needs to be lengthened while they're doing that, they're practicing that. Um, then I'm looking at string angle, which we've talked about before with the axle-to-axle length. So the longer the axle-to-axle length, the less acute, if you can visualize someone drawing a bow and you can go to your 10th grade geometry class, the less acute the angle is where your finger and where your release is attached to the string. So traditionally guys like me, Big, long draw length. We want a little bit longer axle-axle bow, so that string angle is not as acute. It's a little more obtuse, a little more open. And the shorter the bow gets, the more acute it gets. But if you have a short draw length, such as yourself, it doesn't get as acute. So I'm kind of looking at that um, because that'll kind of dictate where the peep goes. And that's more of a shop problem than a shooter problem. Um, So as a good bow technician, that's something that I'm looking for. But outside of that, I'm really looking to see your draw length. I'm looking to see how you grip the bow, how you hold the bow, and maybe add some pointers along the way.
1: Yeah. So once we've gotten uh, a lot of that initial stuff, talking about budget, talking about draw length, talking about uh, the amount of weight we need to be pulling back, a lot of it becomes really subjective really fast.
2: In a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Like people oh, don't... It's
2: 100%, 100% yeah. okay. I yeah. want it to be that way. That's right. Eventually, I have to you know, Jesus take the wheel. I mean, eventually I have to be hands off.
1: <laughs> yep. That's right.
2: That's right? right. And there are certain brand, you know, there are certain, uh, you know, shops and whatnot that want to sell you their thing, mm. right? Their, their favorite brand. I don't care what bow you buy. I do not care because if you don't have a positive shooting experience, you're not coming back. Yep. So I need you. I want you desperately need you to buy the bow that you want to buy and enjoy the shooting experience you want to shoot. Yep,
1: that's good. That's good. Well, you've given us a ton to chew on here. I've got two more questions for you. And the first one is this. How do you feel about the guy who comes in and says, man, my budget's real tight? And when I say real tight, I mean real, real tight. How do you feel about buying a used bow and setting that up for you uh, to hunt with?
2: I, so the, 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 used bow question has gotten a lot better. Okay. Um, because bows now are a lot of bows now. And particularly if you've got a tight budget, um, are starting to become more friendly to changing hands. So mm. meaning, you know, I can sell a bow and some guy can take it and without needing a bow press or any fancy tools, just a couple of Allen wrenches can change it to his wife's draw length from my draw length, right? Wow. Cause a lot of these more budget minded, easier to change hands, easier to sell on Craigslist, eBay, Facebook marketplace deals can do that. I'm fine with that. What people then don't understand is that when you start buying stuff, that's like, let's say 10 years old, you got a real, you got a smoking deal. So you get a hundred bucks for a Hoyt. It's 12 years old. Great. I have no parts for you, man. And <laughs> it's at a 27 inch draw yep. and you need 29. I'm sorry. We're going to make you a two inch long D loop because they don't make parts <laughs> for that anymore. Like it's just oh, not going to happen, bro. Just the thought I of somebody with it, a two but, inch
1: long D loop. Just man, that's
2: yeah. yeah good stuff. You know, it's just be hilarious, but that happens a lot. And that actually happens way more. Hey, Hey, this is my uncle's bow. Can we set it up for me? Well, how tall is your uncle? Let's hope you're the same size. Yeah. Um, that, that happens a lot. And, um, you know, there are times where you can't find that smoking deal on eBay, Facebook marketplace, Craigslist type deal and, and, and get a good thing. It's just, I caution people a lot, really do your research on that bow and that model, because understand that it's not like the car industry where you can still get parts for cars that are 50 years old. You can't get parts for bows that are more than 10 years old. Yeah. Or even more than five or seven years old in some cases. Yep. It just the industry moves very quickly and stuff changes much more rapidly than it does in almost any other industry. Yeah.
1: But uh, assuming we can get one that is uh, that is going to fit me or, or maybe it's uh, like one of these newer bows that, you know, I can definitely get it adjusted to my draw length and get it set up just right for me. Is the the longevity there? Uh, with some of these bows as far as it being a reliable piece of equipment to hand down one-to-one or, or do you run into brands that you're like, ah, that one's, that one's five years old and the wear and tear is just a little bit too far on it.
2: We've had, there have been some uh, issues, but those are mostly prior to 2010. Okay. Mostly prior to 2010. If you get a bow, I would say even uh, let's go 2012. If you have a bow that's 2012 past 10 years and newer, if the owners truly, you know, didn't dry fire it and tells you which dry fire means shoot a bow without an arrow in it, that's detrimental to Bad any news. bow. I don't care who makes it. Bad news bears there. Yeah. Um, and actually a lot of companies nowadays deliberately make parts of their bow break deliberately when you dry fire, so you can't hide the fact that you dry fired it. Really? hmm It used to be that bow companies for the longest time would t- we're trying to make their bows as robust as possible. In the event of a dry fire, it didn't damage it. And we're now realizing that it could crack a bearing on the inside. You can't see, it could damage something with a string that you can't uh, see. Um, and it would actually then cause a secondary blow up, if you will, which is even detrimental than the first one. Yeah, much so more a dangerous. Lot of bow manufacturer- yeah, much more dangerous. We're talking flying parts and stuff like that. So a lot of bow companies now are designing their bows to have deliberate fail safes like um, the cams will fold like the, the aluminum will actually fold over um, or the limbs will pop out of the pocket. So it won't blow up, but it won't be fixable unless you buy new parts and take it to a person as a bow press. Interesting. So, um, so that way you can't get a damaged product. Prior to 2012, that wasn't the case. A lot of bow manufacturers, and it's nobody's fault. They were just trying to make the most bomb proof thing possible in the event you had an injury. Nowadays, if you have a bow that doesn't have any markings on it, it's, it's okay. Like you're okay. As long as you can, you know, there's no cracks in the limbs, nothing's bent over, etc.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. So, all right, man, you've given us a ton ton to, to think on here. My last question is this, what did I not ask that I should have asked? Right? Like when it comes to this world of picking out a bow, whether I'm whether I'm uh, just getting into archery or whether I'm just looking for an upgrade, man, I've been shooting a Parker wildfire for 12 years. Help me, uh, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. like
2: what? <laughs> anything
1: else that I should have asked or anything else that we should have talked about that we didn't get to.
2: So, so number so I want to just briefly touch on this with accessories and then we'll probably talk about them later as well. But um, the the number one thing that people ask guys like me or other technicians in the shop is, well, what do you shoot? Or mm. what do you use? And what I shoot and what I use uh, is probably not what you're going to shoot and use. For a litany of reasons, not because I'm holier than thou, but because, uh, one, I'm probably not the same size as you. Two, our monetary situations may be, you might be better off than I am, and I might be, and I might be better off than you. Three, uh, preferentially, I like fixed plate broadheads, you might want to shoot a mechanical personal preference there. Um, And uh, also maybe I like certain colors more than you. I mean, just stuff like that. And also I might be highly opinionated. So what I would much rather frame the question of, or someone asked me like, what would you shoot? If you were to pick the boat, I would say I would shoot this at this price point, this at this price point, or this at this price point. Hmm. Or if we're talking about, um, you know, like arrow weights, for example, like how much an arrow, the actual tube of the arrow weighs, I would say, this is at this weight, this is at this weight, this is at this weight. And I like to give options to people. And so if you're going to ask a bow technician, if they're worth their salt, instead of saying, what would you shoot or what would you buy? Don't ask them that question. Cause it's probably not what you should be shooting or you should be buying um, ask them, I want to see like, what, what would you do at these three price points? Yeah, or if you've had good. three different price points or two different price points, what would you do? Give me your best, give me your worst, give me your cheapest, give me your most expensive because then you, because then often they'll be like, well, this is also middle of the road. So it, it kind of engages that conversation away from this hard, this or that. And I think that really kind of opens it up for both you as a new shooter and for that bow technician who might be highly opinionated or not.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, this brought up one last question for this topic. The internet is huge. You can find anything on the internet these days. Speaking of a new bow, maybe it's a brand you haven't heard of. Probably not likely for you. Certainly likely for me as I'm browsing online. I'm going to admit, when you first announced, I got to say this, when you first announced that you were shooting in Athens this year, I was like, a what? (laughs) Like, i've never even I've even heard of Athens before now how where is that why so anyway, they are not one of the big marketers out there, apparently, or maybe they are and not i just yet. I've lived under a rock not yet. But man i the fact that you are shooting one has got me like oh okay,
2: like this this could be pretty neat, but all right, I'll so, tell you they're freaking legit and they don't pay me to say that
1: dude i yeah, when, when you picked one up, I was like, I've never heard of that brand before. But there's a lot of brands that I haven't heard of, right? Is there a baseline number that you're like, look, if you can't spend this amount, you don't need to buy a compound. You need to go buy a Samic Sage and start with a recurve or something because you can get a good Samic Sage for 100 bucks on Amazon. Um, is there a baseline dollar amount that you're like, if you go below this, you're not going to find anything good for you
2: that's a, that's a great question so if you are a grown and we're talking i'm talking brand new yeah like if you come into the shop walking brand new yep um i honestly would say because you got to like again you got to think about even the package bows most of them do not come with arrows in a release yep so now we're talking let's say you get half a dozen arrows that's a pretty good amount Uh, half a dozen arrows and you get a, a a $30 release, you're probably still talking another 70, 80 bucks on top of the bow and all of its accessories, sight rest, quiver, stabilizer, et cetera. So I would say no less than 350 bucks. Okay. No, less. if you wanted something that wasn't complete, like there are certain, uh, I don't get me wrong. I love the budget bows, but there are certain budget bows that I've even sound like, Oh, uh, you're not a kid, you know, there, yeah. there's, you know, you're a grown man. This is not going to be that pod again, this positive shooting experience. The back wall is going to be really spongy. It's going to be very, it's going to be too slow. Now that I'm not I'm a big speed guy, but there are certain budget bows that are meant for the ladies and the kids with short draws, light poundage. And now that you can't shoot them at 70 pounds as a, as a grown man, but you're going to watch, you're going to shoot. And then your buddy shooting the uh, flagship's going to shoot next to you. And his bow's going to go off, and his arrow's going to be in the target, and yours is going to go, Boo, and you're going to feel sad on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, going to yeah. and now you don't have a positive shooting experience. Yeah, so, yeah. I would say no less than three hundred seventy-five bucks. I would say ideally four and a quarter. Okay,
1: yeah. So ideally four and a quarter. One thing we haven't talked about though that I, I just got to throw a, a plug out there. You can, if you if you're saying I'd love to get into archery. And I just can't afford that right now. Like I just don't have the money seriously. I I, I don't know what they're sold as now. Maybe you do. Do you shoot any recurve kind of stuff? Uh, So the.
2: Like the Samick Sage and whatnot.
1: You can get a Samick Sage right now for, I think about 120 bucks, 110 bucks on Amazon and you can, and, and legally kill, kill deer with it. Like it can be a legal bow for you to take out and, and kill deer with. And, you know, if, if that's what it takes to get you into archery um, rather than sitting at home on the couch, maybe that's the road for you.
2: Yeah. Oh, and, and in particular, if you and the family want to get into it, because you can go buy, 11, I mean, and they make them for youth. And, and, and the youth models are even cheaper. We're talking yeah. 65, 75 bucks, you know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. And it, there is no drawling, you just pull back. Yep. You pull back and fling arrows and you can get and, and recurve arrows are even cheaper than compound arrows because they don't have to be as tough because recurves are a lot less aggressive than compounds. Yeah. If you're if you're just looking to go as Ted Nugent would say, the mystical flight of the arrow and sling things at targets or it get proficient enough to take it out into the whitetail woods. Go for it. And I'm a big part. I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why I always tell folks, I'm like, I just don't have the time. I, I don't just
2: don't, this, as, uh, as other good friends have said, the struggle stick and it is not, <laughs> it is not for me. I stick with the compound stuff. Uh, but yeah, for sure. If you're just wanting to, to get to, you know, even see if archery, you know, if, 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 I get a kick out of watching an arrow fly through the air Yeah, and then I go, it's kind of like a kid with a paper airplane. Like I made a thing that flew and you throw it and it lands <laughs> to the ground. And then what do you do? You run over and you pick it up and you throw it again. And you just do that and do that. Like for me, whenever I shoot something, like I'll shoot it, it goes into the target, I walk up and like two minutes ago, that was over there. But then I made it <laughs> get over here through the air. And that's like super cool to me. And if that yeah. doesn't tickle your fancy, then archery's not for you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Right. And but, but now you're only out a hundred bucks. That's right. You know, and now you know this wasn't for me. And you could probably get your money back selling it online somewhere.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the conversation. I think this is going to help a ton of folks out.
2: You bet, man. I'm super happy to to help out. And if anybody ever has any questions, they can reach out to me. Oh, excellent.
1: Yeah. Tell folks where they can find you.
2: Yeah. So you can reach out, go find my YouTube channel, Average Egg Archery. Uh, You can also find me on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Average Egg Archery. You can send me, always send me an email averagecheckarchery at at gmail.com. I get back to 99% of them. If you write a legible thing with normal questions, I'm going to respond to you. uh, I'm going to try to help you troubleshoot or get you started in the sport of archery as best that I can.
1: Awesome. Thanks for your time, man.
2: You bet, buddy. Anytime.
1: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find more outdoor themed podcasts from the Sportsman's Nation podcast network at sportsmansnation.com, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Nate for coming on. Make sure to go check out his YouTube channel, Average Jack Archery, and thanks to our partners at Tacticam. Head over to Tacticam.com to check out their full line of cameras and accessories made with the hunter in mind. Share your hunt with Tacticam.